Lord, would you let us, like that one lost sheep, be found by you? We pray that we would be um, like those people that gathered around you because they knew that the love of the Father was flowing through you to them. We ask that we would have the humility of heart to come near to you and receive whatever it is that you have to give us, that we would repent of our sin, that we would forgive the sins of those that have done against us. And we ask, Lord, that the story of Joseph would be uh, used by you to accomplish your purposes in our church and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please be seated. Thank you. And welcome to the ark. You made it. You're dry and safe. Um, turn to Genesis 50 as we continue our series, No Future Without Forgiveness, looking at verses uh, 12 through 21, or 15 through 21. And also, did you get a three by five card on your way in and a writing utensil? Okay, some got a card. Do you have a, you have a writing utensil? Raise your hand if you need one. Okay, if you need one, look around and people will be able to give you one. All right, and I've got one too, if you want to borrow mine. And you can use your, your bulletin as the three by five card. Sarah, you want this? Yeah, okay, come on up and get it because I'm not coming down there. All right, so uh, that's going to be for later. For now, I want you to think about, uh, man, all this water coming down. If you uh, live near the Great Lakes and if you get regular rainfall like we do or irregular rainfall like we do, you can take the abundance of fresh water totally for granted. And, you know, we forget that we need fresh water on a very basic level just to exist and thrive as human beings. We need water to, to bathe, uh, to, to drink, to just stay hydrated, to cook food, to use the restroom. If we did not have re a regular source of fresh water readily and easily available to us, what would happen? We would dehydrate. We would contract diseases. We would experience food insecurity. Now, for the people who raise their kids within the Sahara Desert, in countries like Algeria, Chad, Libya, Sudan, Egypt, finding clean water in the desert is a supreme challenge and priority. Uh, many who live in the Sahara Desert do not have what we do. You can't just turn the sink on and have regular fresh water. You have to go find it. And so parents and children alike spend much of their time just getting water. A lot of time that could be used for education, that could be used for running a small business, that could be used for spending time with your family is really it's sheer survival, hunting down water, uh, transporting the water, boiling the water, and then repeating the process until their bodies are broken. So it'd be, it'd be better just to dig a well. You could dig a well in Sahara Desert and get access to water, but where do you dig the well? You could, spend, you could spend weeks digging a well and turns out it's in the wrong place. And then what do you do? So finding water in the desert is absolutely essential and very difficult. Now, finding meaning in pain is essential and very difficult because pain and suffering can be like a personal desert. Um, pain leaves our souls in a thirsty place, in a dehydrated place, in a desperate place when we're suffering, when we're in pain. And if we can't find meaning in it, if there's no purpose in the pain, 
um, our souls can really shrivel up, harden up, and we can grow disillusioned. And this is especially true when pain comes, when our pain comes at the hands of someone who has done harm to us, and especially if there was malice in their intentions toward us, it can be very difficult. Now, if we're fortunate enough to find meaning in our pain, what happens if we know, we finally know what it's all for? It encourages us, it refreshes us, it keeps us going. It even gives us power to forgive people who have done us great harm. So today we're going to actually look at somebody who found meaning in his pain. And the people who had done him harm hurt him very badly. They had kind of scarred him for life. And yet that didn't destroy him. It certainly hurt him, but it didn't destroy him. He found so much meaning, in fact, in his suffering that he had enough to share, to refresh the very people who had done him great harm. He was able to refresh them with the meaning and the purpose that he had himself found. This man's name was Joseph. Or we're going to catch the tail end of his story in Genesis 50. And this is really important for us because... Joseph is going to show us where the water is. (laughs) He's going to show all of us who have been sinned against, who have been hurt, who have been betrayed, who have some kind of suffering or pain in their life, where the water is. And so uh, let's talk first about his desert. If you could sum up Joseph's desert in one phrase, it would be this. You intended evil. You intended evil evil. Joseph's brothers intended evil against him. It's one thing to accidentally hurt someone. That's bad enough. But what happens when someone maliciously aims an arrow at you and tries to take you down? Um, that's extra hurtful. That's extra painful. And what's interesting is that the perpetrators admit to it later in life. And we catch them Uh, talking amongst themselves about what they did to Joseph. Look at Genesis 50, verse 15. We catch a, um, a snippet of their conversation when he's not around. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Now, what was the evil that they did to him? Well, the evil against Joseph began in rivalry. We talked a little bit about this last week about the Cain and Abel story. A lot of evil begins with rivalry, wanting what someone else has. They have something that that you want. So their father loved him. Joseph's brothers saw his father make, their father make a multicolored coat, which was this tangible sign that he really did favor Joseph. He didn't just love Joseph, He loved Joseph more than all of the other brothers. And so they, in their pain and in their jealousy, rejected Joseph. They refused to speak to him. They gave him the cold shoulder. And then one day when his brothers saw him coming from afar, they started to conspire against him. They're like, you know what? Here comes this dreamer. Let's kill him. And they they were like, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to kill this dreamer. And as he's walking closer, they decided, no, we're not going to kill him. We're going to just rough him up and we're going we're gonna to sell him. And so they saw him and like a pack of cowards, they jumped him. They beat him up. They ripped his multicolored coat off and they threw him into a dry pit. 
And you can just imagine being 17 years old and your brother, you have about a dozen brothers and they're most of them older than you and they jump you, right? They attack you, they beat you up and they throw you into a pit. You're coming to actually help them do a job and they, they turn on you and betray you and throw you down. And just looking into their eyes, Joseph even references it later. He said, you saw the terror in my face. You saw how distressed I was when you threw me into that pit. This was evil. This was terrible. This was so traumatic. But then to make the matters worse, you know what they did? They said, let's sell him and take the profits. <laughs> okay? So they saw some merchants coming by and they said, hey, we have a, a, you know, a young, strapping, capable um, slave available for sale. Would you like to buy him? They sold him. They trafficked him for money. And then to make matters worse, they pretended he was dead. They lied to their father and his father about his true condition. And they said, ah, look at this bloody coat. I'm so sorry. Our younger brother, your son, um, was, was mauled by a wild animal. And so there was that they covered their tracks. And you know what? They got away with it. They got away with a bald-faced lie. So they did the evil, and then they increased the violence. And violence always wants to use language to cover itself, and they did that. So they, they spilled blood over the coat, gave it to the father. And for years, for decades, the father had no idea what the truth is about his son, okay? So that's just what they did. Think about the impact. It's one thing to do evil. It's another thing for evil, as it always does, to have a ripple effect down the years. And so by trafficking Joseph into the slave trade, they separated him from his own father and younger brother for decades. He was separated from Benjamin. He was separated from Jacob, his dad. Joseph and his father were both kept from knowing the truth about each other for decades. So uh, Jacob thought Joseph was dead. Just imagine being Joseph. You're wondering your whole life, what happens to my dad? Is my dad alive? It's the first thing that he asks about when he meets his brother. Just imagine not knowing from the age of 17 onwards, is your own father alive? You can't see him. You can't go to family gatherings. You have no idea what's happening. Um, Joseph lost his home, his freedom, and his family all in the same day. All in the same day. His home, his family, his freedom, his native tongue, it like all goes away and completely out of his power. Eventually, Joseph would be thrown into prison under trumped-up lies against him. And all of this, all of this was fallout from his brother's choice, from their jealous rage, to, to sell him into slavery. Um, in her book, Forgiving What You Can't Forget, Lisa Turkhurst describes the fallout of discovering her husband's affair. Now, as you can imagine, this was devastating for, for Lisa. Now, one of the pivotal moments in her story was when her counselor gave her a stack of three by five cards. And he said to this effect, each card that you hold in your hands, Lisa, represents something. It represents one offense against you, every lie, every act of betrayal, 
Um, and so, but don't stop there. Once you're done writing down the offenses of your husband against you, you need to write down each consequence of your husband's betrayal, the fallout, because that also needs to be forgiven. And so she went through the assignment. He had the affair. He kept secrets. He betrayed my trust. He shattered our marriage vows. And on and on, not just what he did, but also the impact. So it's not just someone, uh, you know, hits you because they're driving drunk. It's also the injury that you have for years later, the limp that you walk with or the rehab that you have to do. It's not just the initial injury. It's the fallout. Both need to be forgiven. Lisa says this, quote, one by one, I acknowledged all the pieces and parts of what felt like such an overwhelming nightmare. Now, eventually what she was able to do was she was actually able to declare her forgiveness and Christ's blood over each offense and each consequence of those offenses against her. Um, so forgiving the impact of someone's sin against us is just as important as forgiving what they did. Lisa had her stack of cards to forgive. Joseph had his stack. Um, and we've got our stack, don't we? We will come back to that. But first, there's something that I want us to see together. Joseph's brothers put one more stack on the card. They give him, they do one last little thing against him at the very end of his life or at the very end of, their, of this story. Verse 16, they sent a message to Joseph saying, uh, your father gave this command before he died. Genesis 50 verse 17, say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Now, can you hear the manipulative, the spiritually manipulative language in that verse? Their father said a lot of things before he died, and it's all recorded in Genesis 48 and 49 in detail. He never said this. He never said, please forgive the servants of the God of your father. Why? Joseph had already forgiven them. He had forgiven them and he had hugged them, cried in front of them, told them I forgive you, fed them, gave the, you know, he uh, just, he gave them money. He forgave them in every way possible. So there's no reason for Jacob to say this, but they're afraid, you know, they're covering themselves. And this, you know, that verse to the person who's evil, everything is evil. You know, you're just suspicious of everyone because that's how you treat people. You treat, people should be suspicious of you, so you're suspicious of everyone else. So they're still doing evil against him. Daddy said, forgive us. But I appreciate the last part, uh, the comment on verse 17, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Do you see that? Genesis 50, 17, B says, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Now, what do you suppose are behind all those tears? I don't know, you know, tears are ambiguous, but perhaps Joseph is doing what I think he's done for years to get to this forgiving spot. He's grieving, right? He's grieving the sins of his brothers done against him. And it's so sad, right? We could weep right along with Joseph because they can't see his heart. After all the 
after all the forgiving that he's done of them, they still can't see his heart. And they can't sort of come into the light with him, right? Repent of all that darkness. That's gone forever. It's covered. They still can't. They, they can't let go of it. He's let go of it, but they can't. And so they're still doing this like song and dance to cover themselves. And what does that do to their relationship? Like Joseph and his brothers can't have that shalom, that peace that they could have if only their brothers would step into the light. And so he's grieving, I think. You know, Joseph may also be remembering just the losses. And this is where, you know, we talked about before, a forgiven memory is not a deleted memory. So maybe he's also remembering just all the years they lost, you know, all of the years where they couldn't be a family. The, the feasting, the celebrations, the weddings, the brotherly fun, all that could have been. In any case, Joseph really hasn't shriveled up. You notice this. They're lying to him. He's been separated from them for years. But here's a man who's, who's not hardened. Despite all the evil against him, all the malice, you know, where's the secret, Joseph? How can you weep before brothers that are lying to you, that have sinned against you so greatly? Where'd you get all those tender tears, Joseph? And this is where it's helpful to actually Back to the Sahara Desert. Um, did you know that some of the largest freshwater supplies are directly beneath the Sahara Desert? Isn't that crazy? Some of the largest available supplies of freshwater are directly beneath all those desert dried out countries um, in Africa. Recently, UNICEF developed a surprising way to find it. They would actually direct satellites and planes to fly high above the desert, taking a lot of detailed photographs and mapping uh, the whole ecosystem, including the wildlife, the vegetation, the sand, and the water supply. And what happened is for people in the Sahara, those satellite images actually gave them perspective on where to find the water. And so they would take their cues from the higher perspective and then they would dig wells at just the right spots where all the water could be accessed. Isn't that cool? And then they could develop taps so that when they needed a, you know, fresh water for, for cooking, for bathing, you could just, just like us, open the tap. So for people in the Sahara, it was the satellites that gave them a higher perspective on where the water is. Um, and in the same way, Joseph needed a lofty perspective on where the meaning was in his desert. And that was, for him, the vantage point of the sovereign plan of God. It was the sovereign plan of God that showed him where the meaning is, right in all of his desert. And he found so much meaning in his pain. If his desert was called, you intended evil, his fresh water supply was, God meant it for good. God meant it for good. After his father died, Joseph had his brothers in the palm of his hand Verse 18, his brothers also came down and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph could have enslaved them right there. He could have said, Strip their robes off, beat them up, throw them in a pit, sell them, make them work for me for the rest of my life. He could have, he could have physically assaulted them and gotten away with it. He could have... Um, 
at least lectured them. He could have at least let them have it. Now that's what a vengeful soul would have done. But what does he do? What does Joseph do? Verse 19, Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now, is Joseph just being glib here? Is he guilty of that spiritual bypass language that we talked about a couple of weeks ago? Just using theology speak to cover, oh God, talk to, you know, cover over real legitimate abuses against him? I don't think so, because I think that he's actually uh, communicating what he's lived, which is he has lived out in his life. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph has had a front row seat to that phrase. He's watched it happen. He's lived it. It's taken him years to see the unfolding plan of God in his pain and his loss. Yes, he was sold into slavery, found himself in Egypt. Yes, he was falsely accused and thrown into prison. Yet the Lord was with him the whole time. He was promoted and elevated to the highest levels of government. None of Joseph's uh, pain was wasted. None of his talents were wasted. Um, in fact, he has the spiritual gift of discernment. He used that gift to correctly interpret dreams from Pharaoh, which foretold seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. Well, then God activated his logistical and leadership gifts, and he was able to, based on that information, create a plan so that in the seven years of plenty, they would gather all kinds of grain enough to feed other countries. And then during the famine, they had a global relief effort where they actually sold that grain for a fair price to people who came to Egypt looking for food. And that grain fed his own brothers and his own father. Isn't that amazing? Nothing was wasted. Through Joseph's pain, God fulfilled his promise to Abraham. I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Joseph also prefigured Jesus Christ and prefigured the mystery of the gospel so that when people intend evil, God intends good. This is at the very heart of the cross of Christ. God takes the evil inflicted upon one person and he causes it to bring untold millions and billions into salvation. Joseph shows us that God loves to turn curses into blessings and to turn momentary evil into eternal good. Evil for a moment, good for eternity. God doesn't cause the malice. He doesn't condone the evil. He grieves over it and he defeats it. How does he defeat it? He defeats it precisely by using it to accomplish his good. And his good triumphs over evil in the end. To paraphrase Joseph, brothers, you conspired to do me harm, but God conspired to save many lives, and God's conspiracy trumps your conspiracy. This isn't about me and my petty revenge. There's a wider, thrilling story God is writing. His plan includes me, and it includes you. Even your evil played a role to accomplish God's good. 
Joseph looked up at God's sovereign plan and God's sovereign ways, and it helped him find meaning in the pain. And we all need to find meaning in our pain. But most of the time, this is very difficult, right? It's so hard, isn't it? In fact, you might be thinking, you know, it's just so easy for Joseph to say this because his story was so dramatic and so storybook, and he had clean answers at the end. Yet, I don't want us to forget the, that these words come after years of waiting, of suffering, years of being forgotten in prison, years of service, years of wondering about your dad and your younger brother, Benjamin, year after locust-eating year of releasing the evil done against you, forgiving it every day. Maybe you don't have a dramatic resolution to your pain like Joseph had, but here's the one thing that, that you and I share with him, right? We share something really important with Joseph. Okay, we have the same God. We have the same exact God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he took Joseph's pain and he, and he used it to feed millions of people, what do you suppose he'll do with your pain? If he took the, the evil done against Jesus and he uses it to save billions of people and to create a new creation altogether, a new world that will last forever, what do you think he could do with your pain and my pain? You know, God is so good. He's so creative. He's so powerful that he's bound to do something good if you, if you trust him with your pain and suffering and give him... Um, if you give him your trust, because your, your story is not over. My story's not over. Now, here's another reality that we share with Joseph. We have an invitation to wait patiently for the Lord. The psalmist tells us over and over again, wait for the Lord, wait for the Lord. He will act. He cares for you. God's plan is, is you know, it's sweeping. Yes, it's grand. It's thrilling but he's also working inside of us right now. He's working inside of us in our unfinished stories at a deep level, just like he did for Joseph. Joseph had deep theology. Yes, um, God is sovereign, and that is true. But Joseph also had deep tenderness, and both were the result of being with God in his pain, and both are available to you and me. Doesn't mean it's easy but it is available. Observe with me how he treated his brothers after all of these years of pretty difficult spiritual formation. Verse 21, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You know, the, there's a passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, out of the comfort we've received, we give comfort to you. And, and here Joseph is, is living that out with his brothers. He received great comfort from God. God worked at a deep level in his soul. Well, now he's refreshing them with that same. His enemies, now, now they're his brothers again. And he's drawing out of the well of his soul, refreshing and meaning for them, for their suffering. He gives them tender mercy. He gives them words of peace and blessing. He says, don't be afraid twice. He gives them comfort and kindness. 
they intended malice against him from the living God, Josud, towards them. He has a regular stream of water in the desert and he's ready to refresh everyone around him. It's our turn. I've card, those of you who have it, or you have a bulletin, you have something to write with. On one side of that card, or at one, on one part of your little piece of paper, just write the word desert. Write the word desert or the desert. And just take a, a minute to, to describe your desert. What is your desert like right now? Any personal suffering? Maybe it's offenses done against you by another. Could be offenses done against you a long time ago. That still hurt. Ways that people have caused you pain. It may be the negative impact. You could, you could, uh, you could write this in words. You could draw a picture. What's the desert like for you? Describe it. Let's just take a minute to do that. All right, when you're ready, turn the card over. And you can write the fresh water. The fresh water. And this is an opportunity for you to ask the Lord, Lord, where is there meaning in my pain? And you can describe it as he gives to you insights about how he's used it for good. Are there any ways that your soul has grown in suffering? Have there been any virtues formed by the Spirit of God in your life? Do you have any compassion, new compassion for people in similar circumstances? Has God given you someone to love and serve or be served by? A healing relationship that he's brought your way. You know, Anne Frank was a 13-year-old Jewish girl who began keeping a journal when the Nazis invaded her hometown of Amsterdam. She and her sister were actually captured by the Nazis. They were taken to a concentration camp in Germany. And um, before she died as a teenager, here's what she wrote in her journal. Think of all the beauty still left around you. Think of all the beauty still left around you. Is there beauty in your life that you have noticed as you have suffered, as you have been on your own forgiveness journey? Ask the Lord to show you his beauty. Okay, 
Take a minute to, to write that, to write down anything that comes to mind. Okay, we'll bring this exercise to a close. Um, but keep your cards with you. Keep, keep it with you this week. Write on it. And, it, you know, maybe even where are you coming to me in my pain and in my suffering? Our lives are not yet over. Our stories are not yet complete. We're not at the point where Joseph's at for the most part. If we completely trust our lives and our pain to Jesus Christ, he will supply all of the meaning and purpose we could ever hope for. And for those of us who are in Jesus, there will come a day where Jesus Christ will show us how he and the Father were taking all the hard things of our life and actually using them for his good. We will see the great purposes that he intended for us and for everyone around us. That day is coming and we're actually, you know what? We're, we're watching him and we're filling out these cards and we're praying and this is our act of faith that Jesus, you are going to make all things right and you are going to make all things new. It's our opportunity to say, am I in the place of God? And it's just a great relief to say, no, I'm not in the place of God. God is in the place of God and he's writing our stories making all things new. So as we wait for that final day, let us wait upon the Lord and worship him and forgive. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.